So until they have the vaccine and the vax tad or whatever it's going to be that couples with that, I think, you know, this was too big and too successful a psyop for them to let it go without their main goal being achieved. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com. In a conversation that's being recorded on the 28th of April, 2020, and last weekend in the newsletter, I was writing about pandemic predictions, four predictions for what is coming in this coronavirus crisis. And prediction number one related to the second wave, which will be blamed on protesters, in which I wrote about how there is a second wave of COVID-19 coming in the next few months. Not necessarily because some new wave of disease is going to sweep through the population, but because of the statistical chicanery that is going on, they will be able to create the impression, at any rate, of a second wave of disease. And in doing so, you know who's going to be blamed for that? It's going to be those damn freedom protesters. This is something that I've been seeing and thinking about since these lockdown, anti-lockdown protests started developing. And the only other people I heard discussing this are our guests today. So I wanted to bring them on to discuss this scenario and how it plays out from here. Uh, I hope you're familiar with them already, if only because they have interviewed me and I did uh, post the audio of that on my website. But if not, this is a good chance to acquaint yourselves with them. Today, we're talking to Monica Perez and Brad Binkley of the Propaganda Report, which is at thepropreport.com. They have a regular Drive Time News Blast uh, podcast, as well as some other uh, audio features that they do. And I will let them describe their work themselves. But first, Monica, Brad, thank you for coming on the program. Monica, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself in the program? Thanks for having us. Well, we have a a podcast, a deep dive podcast we do every once in a while uh, called The Propaganda Report. But we just, the propaganda was coming so fast and furious that we decided to do a daily show, which is called the Drive Time News Blast, where we try to hit the headlines of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice so that you don't have to listen to the mainstream news. You can actually stay informed. And we kind of got inspired because we had a terrestrial radio show. It was the Monica Perez show, and Brad was my producer and my sidekick. And uh, when I started talking about Event 201 on February 8th, so I had that show for eight and a half years in Atlanta, but it is in the backyard of the CDC. And I kind of took them on directly because I really had never, I'd never been restricted in what I had to say. And by the end of that month, which I had dedicated basically exclusively to playing clips from Event 201, which seemed to be predicting the future in real time, uh, I just, without any explanation, got taken off the air. So, but that's okay because the podcast we have so much more freedom and more time to get into all of these stories that we can hit the, these kind of important issues right away. And people do come back and say, "Hey, we heard we heard it there first. So, I think it's worthwhile. Awesome. And Brad, tell us a little bit about how you came to uh, to meet Monica and join the program and and uh, start this this research that you're doing. I've researched conspiracies since I was like 12. So I've always really been into conspiracies and I've just never always been a skeptic. And I started listening to Monica years and years ago. I did radio back in college, but I got kicked off for prank calling people. Started listening to Monica probably right when she came on, actually. And I just sent her a message um, saying that I think that I, I might be able to uh, I might be able to help out. And I was surprised she she responded and she did. And we just communicated a little bit and then did a couple podcast trial runs and 
we've been going ever since. Okay, awesome. Well, let's get into the meat and potatoes of today's conversation. As I said, the second wave is baked into the cake. We have been hearing about this from every source, Bill Gates and others, talking about that it's going to happen. We're going to release and and people will try to go back to normal and a second wave will come. This is already baked into the narrative. And as I say, there are many ways that this could happen. I suppose there could be a real second wave of COVID-19 infections. Or there could be statistical chicanery to make the public believe that's happening. Or another possibility, as I've talked about in that two doctors viral video that everyone's passing around these days, if you spend a month or two in lockdown, uh, your immune system gets deprived and uh, underworked. And when you are released, you better believe you're probably going to get sick uh, again pretty quickly. So there's a lot of different ways that a second wave can happen. But regardless we know that they're going to blame it on those damn freedom protesters who want to <laughs> open Fuddruckers, as uh, Patton Oswalt recently <laughs> tweeted. That's that's exactly. what it's about. You guys, you stupid simpletons who care about opening Fuddruckers. So, um, uh, Bradley, I think I heard, uh, Brad, sorry, I, I think I heard you discuss this on the, on the prop report first, uh, talking about the second wave. Tell us a little bit about this narrative and where you see it going from here. I saw the second wave narrative right from the beginning of this because they were comparing it lightly to the Spanish flu and how the second wave was the most deadly because they did not follow the enforcement of the first wave. So therefore, we must lock down. We must do what they're telling us before. And absolutely, there's going to be a second wave because they have to reinforce these patterns they're putting in. They have to justify all the measures that they've implemented, the big mass surveillance and everything. And the liberty lovers, the people, as they would put it, the gun-toting Trump conspiracy theorists (laughs) – are an easy scapegoat. I almost think that maybe some of those protests are being provocateured by people going in there and uh, I guess bird dogging, as they put it, to intentionally make it look like the people that are protesting are crazy, intentionally make it look like they're anti-doctor, anti-medical worker. Um, Absolutely, it's coming. They have to reinforce the pattern, and it's going to be blamed on the state of Georgia, for one, and protesters, for two. The state of Georgia. Interesting. Monica, do you have any other perspective to add to that? I I agree with all of that. I also found that as I was looking at the Event 201 rollout, they did say that at six months, people would think that this was kind of the worst was behind us. And then there would be a flashpoint. And then there would be, it would be another, you know, a total of 18 months, so another year. And as I see these protesters come out, like from the very beginning, my initial thought was, let's organize a 4th of July march on D.C. and challenge them to repeal all the unconstitutional, I would say, laws that the Congress passed while the Constitution was suspended. And let's just do it in an orderly fashion. You're not going to get a real quorum going if you jump the gun, people aren't going to show up. And the problem is really the federal government. You can deal with your local situation later. So in an orderly fashion, there would have been some hope. And I actually put out some feelers to people who do this kind of, you know, organizations. And I, like I heard nothing. I was like, I'll take any date you want, but let's just when it's when this thing is over. But now uh, I think I agree that what they're what they have is these little spotty protests, which a lot of people won't go to where one of the one of the articles I saw was a video from some uh, from the now this news, which is the son <laughs> of a guy who founded Huff Post. And it said that they uh, compiled this 
this survey of all the protests and found that most of the protests featured religious right activists, anti-vaccination conspiracy theorists and open carry gun activists. And I think that's all you really need to know. Exactly right. No, we can definitely see how this is being framed and being pushed along astroturfed by various Republican organizations that are trying to take this over and make it into a bipartisan political issue. Um, as always, always spinning it off into the left-right divide. Uh, so, I mean, that puts us in an interesting quandary. And I'll add this to this narrative as well. I don't think it'll just be a second wave. I mean, they've already talked about third and fourth. I mean, this is going to be a continuing process. And people can look back to that MIT Technology Review article about the, we're not going back to normal or whatever they, they titled that. Absolutely. Where they showed it's going to be, you know, we'll release people and then it'll start spreading again. So we'll have to lock down again. And then we'll, you know, we'll let go of the restrictions and then it'll start spreading again. And they showed this was going to happen in waves until we get the vaccine. And that, of course, <laughs> is the the narrative that's being embedded. We will not have any semblance of normality fundamentally until the vaccine and the vaccine is the savior. So I think they're setting us up in, in, in a sense for psychological conditioning. You can have a little bit of freedom, but then go back and then a little bit of freedom, then go back. And it's like training the pigeon how to spin in circles or, you know, that kind of behavioral conditioning they're doing here. I think that's how you know there has to be a second wave, at least, because the main goals that they are trying to accomplish, like for me, I think the they might have like pulled the trigger a little bit too fast because I think they kind of were on the precipice of a financial collapse. So they had to make that happen. I wondered how they would kick the can to the election and then they didn't. So I, I almost wonder if the timing was kind of dictated by that. And uh, if maybe they would have wanted to have been further along with a vaccine, but they did not accomplish their vaccine goals or their ID goals. So until they have the vaccine and the vax tat or whatever it's going to be that couples <laughs> with that, I think, you know, this was too big and too successful a psyop for them to let it go without their main goal being achieved. Brad, anything to add to that? Absolutely. I think there's going to be a third wave as well. One starts the pattern, starts the new pattern. Two, re two establishes it as a pattern. Three reinforces that pattern. And they're not going to put these things in place without using them for the long run. This is the prototypical example of the engineering of consent, as Bernays would put it, you want to implement something that the public would otherwise reject outright. So you have to create circumstances that makes the public De demand it, beg for it. And that's what we're seeing right now. If these things, if there's still not a second wave or a third wave, the people go, wait a minute, why are you still following me around and following my friends around? We, I thought this was for the flu. So they have to have another, they have to have a third, I think. And your point, Brad, always was that they couldn't really, um, get you to accept this as the new normal until you've really unlearned the old behavior. Yeah. And I'm beginning to notice that feeling like all of a sudden I'm nervous about going back. I'm like, I feel atrophied. And I think my kids too, like you just, you can see it. And, and it did take a while. Yeah. But this is, I mean, I, I really do see behavioral conditioning playing out on a mass global scale at this point and people are being conditioned and it will take multiple waves. And on top of the multiple waves of this particular tsunami or whatever kind of analogy we're using here, there are going to be multiple tsunamis because keep in mind, Bill Gates just wrote in his recent Gates notes about the first modern pandemic, which he is calling Pandemic One with the right. capital I, you know, <laughs> yes. like World there's, War One. 
Something else too, in the, and for one example, but I've noticed a few of these studies recently, the, I'm sure you've seen it by now, the Rockefeller Foundation, uh, they had four scenarios. One was lockstep, which really didn't make any sense as the title of the pandemic exercise, but that's what it was. And we certainly are in lockstep, but they do all the different scenarios and, uh, in some of the scenarios, they have multiple catastrophes. So I've been wondering when they're going to bring something else in, like an actual tsunami. Right. Sure. You know, or, so I, mean, I feel any like any sort of major event taking place during this event will be. Yeah. And then they can a magnitude worse and stress the system. How about combining them? So, for example, as I've also pointed out, for example, in my pandemic predi- predictions article, I, as I pointed out, you used to be a crazy conspiracy theorist who had to be censored from the internet for mentioning the possibility that this was some sort of gain-of-function research in a Wuhan bio lab or whatever. Now that's mainstream Fox News headlines. Uh, why? Because they are setting us up for the China-U.S. conflict that they want and, to get and- existence. And I think they want to egg on, they're setting up the big dialectic. So they want to egg on the protesters. They want to make sure there's a Republican-Democrat divide. Don't forget, it's an election year. So they have to bring this to a, a, a full head. And by then saying, oh, the numbers are squirrely. Uh, some experts disagree. These guys knew all along stuff that you were saying from the beginning. And I was saying, too, the numbers were clearly squirrely before they actually did any of this stuff. And now they're kind of getting people mad so that they'll go out there. And I think there are I know I've talked to people who've been there. There are agents provocateur on both sides. So there's like what someone who was there told me some liberal was walking around. We had his bicycle and was spraying us with Lysol. So like in his mind, he saw a liberal. You know what I mean? Like if the guy didn't say liberal. And uh, and then there are nurses who are also like maybe real, maybe not, who were really trying to start fights. And then there are people on the side of the protesters getting up saying this is about God and only about God. And, you know, and of course, then you've always got the neo-Nazis and the gun toters and stuff like that. But yeah, absolutely. I think we're definitely going to see more of the, the China narrative as the enemy has been coming out more and more, I think we're going to see that connected to Russia. I think we already have a little bit and maybe even Iran as well. I think they're kind of establishing a new access of evil in people's in the public mind anyway. And that has the dialectical element too. the Republicans are against China and the Democrats are against Russia. Yeah, but they can reunite on killing everyone, huh? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or have internal conflict, you know, have mm-hmm. have that that left right divide during the election year around who do we really need to have the next cold or hot war against? Yeah. Although, actually, I saw a Biden political ad that was attacking Trump for not being hard enough on China. So on China. Yeah. So because they do that with Russia. Yeah. So Everything that is the new. So I think that is going to be the new push. Trump's the labor guy. I guess it's time for the Republicans to be yeah. the welfare guys. And Okay, so this brings us to the conundrum of sorts as to, so what do we do with this? Because clearly we are against the lockdowns and the complete abrogation of basic human rights that are going on in the name of this scared at scamdemic that's going on right now. So what do we... What do what position do we take? Because knowing full well, 100% knowing that the narrative controllers who 
function by controlling narratives. That's what they do. They create narratives for the public to react to, essentially. And we know 100% they are going to create a second wave, whether real or fake, and they are going to blame it on freedom protesters. So that's baked into the cake, regardless of what we do. So some people might take a look at that and in some way vaguely imply that, well, you shouldn't be out there protesting for your freedom, right? Is that what we should be doing? So we, we should just what, go and lock ourselves in our house and that'll teach them because then they won't be able to blame us for not getting out of our house. But that seems like eight levels deep of second guessing yourself and then ending up doing what they want in the first place. So what do we do proactively going forward from this place? Brad, let's start with some of your ideas. I liked the idea of a drive drive up protest. I know some people got out and they were able to frame those people as the bad guys, but the idea of staying within the bounds of what they're telling you to stay in, so not giving them a reason to vilify you, but still causing a ruckus, which you can do with your cars, and anything that, honestly, using civil disobedience techniques that groups like Indivisible are using, flooding emails, uh, jamming up their servers, stuff like that, where you can get mobs of people. There's a perfect example of how to disrupt that has been going on the past four years from these groups like Indivisible. And they're using all of these, they're, they're server crashes things, they're flooding emails, they're giving people scripts to call. I'm not saying we should do that, but I think those targeted measures, because where you can mobilize people right now is online. That's, that's where people can be mobilized. And I think that is an angle to go with it. I'm a little afraid that this is like you see in events who one, but just obviously like when is Twitter going down? When are they actually sure. they talk about anti-government protests and violence against healthcare workers triggering the crackdown and that the suppression was going to move from healthcare messaging to political messaging. And I mean, it's a very uh, difficult question because it is all about the messaging down to where like the numbers aren't even real. So for me, I, I just, I do remember that it did not ultimately work, but it really had, it really had an impact was when we marched against, I never got off the couch in my entire life, but I did my first time I was really politically active, physically active was uh, for the Obamacare against Obamacare because I just felt like the tipping point, the government would take over more than 50% of the economy and then you could just never get it back. And I just thought if you, if you, they took away the first amendment, the worst thing that's happening right now to me, the number one problem is they're taking away the first amendment. So I think that it's critical to reassert that strongly and as quickly as possible. Now, you're probably not going to get the the law-abiding people to break the lockdown. So I do still think a 4th of July march on Washington to assert the right to assemble because they can actually control social media. So our it's almost like, and even the vo vote is probably going to be pretty even more controlled. The only way to really assert is a show of hands, which would be to be there. And then I would say on top of that, keep the focus on the feds and keep the messaging crystal clear, which I would say are two things like the stop, stop uh, messing with the data, however you want to say that. And, uh, you know, the restore the constitution or repeal uh, legislation enacted while the Constitution was suspended. I mean, you just stay on those two messages and actually physically show up. That's my hope. 
All of which brings to mind three points for me. One is um, related to what Brad was saying with regards to civil disobedience online, which I think I take an all-of-the-above approach. I think everything that we can do, we should be doing on all fronts all the time, and I'm not here to to restrain anybody from anything. Um, I would say that that, as I pointed out on New World Next Week last week, uh, for example, in Russia, they're doing online protests where they mark themselves on on a traffic map app thing that people have and they they mark themselves as being there and then they write a comment about their protest or whatever so everyone can virtually protest at some embassy or something even when they're locked in their house and i said well that's a i mean that's a creative way of doing this and getting the word out and and showing the protest but it also speaks to my mind i mean first you have free speech zones and then you can't even physically go to free speech zones so you have to virtually mark yourself on a map as going to that free speech zone i mean it's just we keep getting more and more boxed in in terms of what we're doing so i agree we should be doing that type of civil disobedience but it has to be more than just that i think we have to insert ourselves into into reality secondly i think that conversations like this can be an inoculation because inoculations work inoculations of truth, truthful information. So when we point out this narrative before they really unroll it on the public, and we point out they're going to say second wave and they're going to say it's the damn freedom protesters, it's going to happen. And then when it happens, people will have been already seen the narrative before it was presented to them. So they will perhaps be able to snap out of the conditioning that makes people believe that. And then thirdly, I think, yes, we do need to have a crystal clear message. And that crystal clear message, in my mind, is that uh, pandemics do not are not a reason for taking away fundamental human rights. And that is really the underlying issue here, because absolutely, as you guys yes, go over, right. as I go over, the numbers are all nonsense. Yeah. But but that doesn't that isn't the point. The point is, if this were really happening, if there were an infectious agent that was causing death on some scale, then can should should the government be able to lock us all in our houses? And the answer should be a clear and resounding no. We have to reject that principle so that they can't use this type of statistical chicanery to make people go along with it. That's what my that's what I thought was the fatal error of these protests is that day one, libertarians and anybody who's thinking was saying right away, you have no right to do this. We don't need the data. You don't need you have no right to do this. Not not, not to mention that the fundamental laws of civilization have emerged among us, which are biological species in the presence of pandemics. I looked up what were the pre-colonial, the colonial era pandemics, and they were everywhere. They were crossing borders and everything. So coming out right away and saying you never have a right to do this, certainly not at the federal level. Yes, that would have made that message very clear. Now it looks like I need my burger. Yeah, I think I might have heard from you the idea about drones, having drones uh, and kind of a that that can be expensive for some people. I was thinking about that's a great idea. Remote control cars, anything that you can control that can be disruptive to people. I think any any stuff like that is gives gives people a way to to protest without fearing that they are going to come under the wrath of the law without having to ask them to do something there not completely uncomfortable with. Well, keep in mind, any form of protest is going to be demonized at some point. So if if there is a widespread um, cyberspace, you know, disruption of some sort, then they're going to say, see, this is why we need to control the Internet. And you're going to have to sign on with your thumbprint and eye scan to get on the Internet. And I mean, we know that's coming long term as well. So this is the way they set it up. Anything that you do to resist will be used 
as against you. <laughs> yeah. uh, again, it's because they can control the narrative, the overall narrative. If they can get enough people to believe that they're the good guys and these crazy protesters are just insanity, they're just absolutely off their rocker and have no reason for what they believe. So we have to contain them in some way. As long as enough people go along with that, anything that they roll out against the population will be lovingly embraced. It's not con control or surveillance. It's contact tracing. Oh, what a wonderful oh, word. God. Oh. <sighs> yeah. One-on-one -on -one conversations, too. And they've tried to make that impossible yeah. by not allowing people Any to get Anytime I see somebody, yeah, I'm just like, you know, I don't believe in this, right? Because I want people to know, to just start cogitating. And what Binkley pointed out right away is like every single communication now is monitored, is put through a tube. They can hear it. You've got to shout. It's You just can't have that. But I do, I think that that physical interaction, they know how important it is. That's why it's in the First Amendment and that's why they're hitting it hard. Such an important point. Social proof of the fact that you are not alone. You are not crazy. A lot of people think like you and to model that and demonstrate it and to point it out to random people that you encounter on the street if you're allowed out of your home. You know, this, right, is, it's... this is BS. I don't go along with this. And just model that for people. And I'm, I think people will be surprised how many people will be receptive to that. Other people will be confrontational about it. But that, I think it needs to be done to show people that you're not alone. There are other people who disagree with this. Absolutely. Part of the narrative right now is, oh, this these protests are all organized by right wing gun gun people. And this is a small percentage of Americans that don't really believe these things, which I don't think is true at all. It's called I believe it's the spiral of silence where most people have a belief that goes against what they think the majority is. So they maintain their silence. But in reality, it's actually a silent majority that just isn't aware of each other. All right. Such an important conversation. So many important points to cogitate on. I know a lot of the corporate report community will have um, some comments and th things to add to this discussion. But before we wrap up, are there any other points that you would like to make along these lines? Monica. Mm. Well, I would. The only thing that I think is critical is to not allow them to. Uh, to set your own narrative, not allow them to trigger you. I absolutely believe that when we go back out there, we will have, they didn't flatten the curve. They set up a spike and that we will go out there. People will get sick. People will freak out and it'll create this tension, that Democrat Republican tension. Both sides are going to have provocateurs. There's snipers on both sides. And I think that it is absolutely critical. I mean, libertarians, liberty lovers, people who understand the Constitution, fundamental principles are actually the rational ones. They are the rational ones. So when you have people like on your side who are acting irrationally, don't lose heart, distance, be skeptical, and keep your head. Brad? Absolutely. Swallow the politic politicization of it. Swallow the emotion they're trying to trigger and ask questions and talk to people. All right. Well, this is the start, I think, of a conversation that uh, will be ongoing, I think, for a very long time. And I know you guys are having that conversation on a regular basis at thepropreport.com. So I will... Uh, uh, I will definitely re refer people over to that. Monica, tell people again how they can find your work and your social media feeds and what and other ways they can ah. access you. Thank you. You can find Propaganda Report. Everything we do is under Propaganda Report on your favorite podcasting feed. Our URL is thepropreport.com. 
And uh, Binkley is at, at Freedom Max Radio on Twitter. I'm at Monica Perez Show on Twitter. We do a lot of stuff there, but we also have a forum and chat on thepropreport.com. So when and if, I've been deplatformed numerous times from WordPress. Uh, YouTube took me down. I got from Terrestrial Radio. So you're probably going to end up having to find us at thepropreport.com. And Brad, how can people support your work? You can become a patron saint of the propaganda <laughs> report at patreon.com i know a lot of people don't like it but that's the platform that we are using right now and that is the best way to support us that and share the show tell tell people about tell one friend about it excellent all right we'll leave it there for today but i hope we can continue this conversation in the future thank you guys for your time thanks a lot thanks so much